The blockchain space is evolving very, very quickly, so it's important to keep tabs on the latest developments in DeFi, and that's exactly what we'll be talking about right now with John Eagleton. He is the CEO of IntelliBridge, and he'll be talking about the cash ecosystem. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. John, let's talk about cash first and foremost. Uh, we're talking about offline, the utility of DeFi and how that's evolving every day uh, very quickly. Tell us about the latest developments in the DeFi space that are impacting the everyday consumer and retail investor. Well, um, DeFi is actually a very complex space. Um, you know, it's built on blockchain. If you want to actually get into DeFi, um, you know, you have to install a Chrome browser like MetaMask. You have to be able to store your seed phrases, your past phrases, being able to move in and out of different DeFi money markets. So at Cash, what we do is we, we abstract those complex complexities, um, offering customers basically a banking experience, but better than a bank because you're able to access these high um, money markets on, on DeFi. Okay, can you expand on that? Um, how exactly can you access these uh, money markets? So just, just for clarity, so, so DeFi is, is basically new money markets on the blockchain. These are borrowers and lenders um, on the blockchain who are borrowing and lending US dollar stable coins. So these can be US dollar stable coins on Ethereum or other blockchains like Terra. Um, and by you know, putting uh, borrowers and lenders together in smart contracts on the blockchain, you don't have um, a situation like traditional banks, where in traditional banking, um, you're borrowing your money at less than 1% and then lending it out for credit cards, mortgages, and other loans at much higher interest rates. So the banks make a, a decent spread between the borrower and the lender. With DeFi money markets, um, individu individuals are able to borrow and lend um, directly peer-to-peer -peer and have the benefit of, of interacting directly on these higher, higher rates. So what, what cash does is it really makes it simple to, to access those money markets. It's basically like a traditional bank account where you, you know, log in, you set up your account, um, you have a checking account, you have a savings account. Uh -huh. uh, the checking account is just like a traditional checking account, but you know, you've got dollars in there and you have dollar stable coins and you can move those funds into a savings right. account where you can earn up to 20% interest rates. All right, I want to come back to that 20% uh, APY. That's a very high number even for the DeFi space. But John, let's talk about uh, your analogy, the checking account and savings account. So per this example, what's in this checking account exactly? So you got fiat dollars and what else? You have fiat dollars and stablecoin dollars. Um, the advantage of, of stablecoin dollars is, is, is multiple. Um, one, if you want to send money for permits purposes, it's much cheaper than spending by a Western Union, for example. It costs you know five or six cents as opposed to you know five ten percent interest rates, um, transfer rates, and you can transfer those stable coins into a savings account where you're able to access these DeFi money markets. Okay, and is there a transaction fee involved? Uh, the transaction fee is is like twenty five basis points. Um, so. Those are the network fees on the blockchain. We actually don't charge any fees for that. Okay. Um, so that's you know twenty five cents to deposit you know hundred or thousand dollars. Okay. Well, can I deposit any coin that I have in my wallet, or does it have to be you, a native token to your ecosystem? Um, it's actually not our. It's, we're built on, on multiple um, ecosystems. So we're built on both Ethereum and okay. on Terra blockchain. So it can be Ethereum stable coins like USDC or oh, Dai, or it can be the Terra. Terra stablecoin like UST. Okay, thanks, thanks for clarifying. Um, I can't put Bitcoin in there? Um, no, we currently don't support Bitcoin. It's, it's designed uh, for stablecoin um, earnings. Okay, now let's just talk about that. I, I, sta stablecoins on Bitcoin, is that under development by either yourself or anybody else right now? 
yeah, there are people working on that, uh, but that's not something that we're currently involved in. What we're, you know, if if a protocol, a Bitcoin protocol, or there's a you know Bitcoin money market, you know, or any other blockchain, Solana, um, or any of the others, we evaluate all those different blockchains um, to determine, you know, what we think would be best for for our customers. I'm going to come back to the 20% APY. How exactly is that generated on your platform? So we're we're built on the Terra blockchain, and Terra has um, a protocol called the Anchor Protocol. Um, Terra actually had the advantage of, of building their blockchain after Bitcoin, after Ethereum, and looked at, um, at, at basically building a better blockchain, a better solution. Um, and what they did is they decided to um, anchor an interest rate um, around a 20% um, rate, fixed rate, to provide investors with fixed rate. A lot of the money markets have very volatile rates. You'll have very high interest rates in the beginning. Those will taper off to much lower rates. And they wanted to create a fixed rate platform. Um, the way they do that is that they allow borrowers uh, to deposit either Terra um, tokens or Ethereum tokens um, into as, as collateral for those loans. And borrowers have to put up at least 200% collateral. Those, and, and often they're putting more like 300%. So those loans are, are over collateralized and the underlying collateral is earning on average around 10%. So if you, if you put in 200%, you know, if you put in 200% of that, you're actually getting double the interest rate. So you're getting about 20. Do you see a scenario in which uh, interest rates in the DeFi space go down in the future as, I guess, more entrants come in and there's more competitors for loans? Yeah, rates will definitely come down. Um, you know, these are, these are almost like teaser rates. Um, and some protocols, you know, their teaser rates are extremely high. You know, you can get, you know, 50, 100% yields, but those only last for a few months. They're trying to attract um, liquidity into their protocols, and they do that for a very short period of time. Um, the, the, the protocol we're built on has a much longer-term vision of, of, of maintaining high, high rates, but those, yeah, those rates will come down as, as, as um, you know, more demand uh, for, for lending and, and, and borrowing. Okay. So, John, the 20% APY, is that, is that locked in as a fixed rate for, uh, for a fixed amount of time? It's actually a variable rate. So it's, it's, okay. it's been like right now it's at 19.45%. Right. Um, it's been over 20% um, and, and it's been below that rate. So it's volatile. The U.S. Federal Reserve is, uh, has already hiked rates for the first time since 2018. People are projecting that they'll hike more rates down the line this year, and perhaps into next year as well. Do you think that's going to have any impact on the DeFi market in terms of how uh, or where rates are headed in the DeFi market as well? I, I don't think so. I mean, from a macro perspective, probably maybe yes. Um, it's it's the DeFi markets is more about um, you know in, in inflation rates over seven percent right now. Um, the average American household is saving less than five percent of their uh, disposable income in savings yes. accounts, and that's because interest rates are are less than one percent. Um, DeFi offers much more attractive yields uh, right. for for people who want to save, and is helping to to encourage uh, better savings. Well, presumably, when interest rates are as low as they are in the United States and where inflation is very high, uh, you know, close to double digits, not quite, but, you know, 7.9% was the latest reading, you would think that people would want to move into a higher yield environment and DeFi offers that kind of space, right? You, you, wouldn't you see more capital flows in a higher inflation, low risk environment? Yeah, absolutely. So, so take Anchor Protocol as an example. Um, uh, a year ago, you know, there were just a few hundred million dollars in the protocol. Now you have over $15 billion in the protocol. 
Um, so yeah, a lot of money is moving into into protocols like Anchor. Is that um, mostly to, to, institutional money or retail money? Um, it's it's a mix of both. Um, I don't know you know what the exact breakout is uh, because it's it's decentralized. Um, so yeah, th those numbers are not readily available. Okay. Well, the uh, going back to the interest rates, twenty percent APY sounds very attractive, but it doesn't come without risk. Every protocol has risk. So somebody who is uh, maybe attracted to that yield might be wondering, well, John, what's the downside risk for me? Yeah. So the, yeah, definitely risks, and that's one of the. Um, I think continued barriers to entry in, in the DeFi space is, you know, complicated user experience. You know, how do I get in? How, you know, what are the risks and so on? Uh, so that's something that the, 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 you know, the ecosystem and companies like ours are, are working to solve for. Yeah. Um, there are insurance um, protocols that are coming to market. So we will be offering insurance on Anchor mm -hmm. Protocol that protects against technical and, and, and security risks. And then there's risks of, of deep pegging from the U.S. dollar. So right now, you know, one U.S. dollar equals one U.S. Uh, dollar stablecoin. Um, so we can provide customers with insurance to protect against those risks. Well, John, how significant are counterparty risks? Should we be concerned that maybe there could be a default on any of your uh, counterparties such that your loan obligations can't be uh, covered? Yeah, so that's the difference between what we're building and maybe some of our competitors offer, like BlockFi, Celsius, and so on. Those are, um, they are offering centralized um, lending solutions. So someone puts in, you know, lends the money, there's a bar on the other side, they're taking on counterparty risk. Um, so with algorithmic stablecoins and, and, and smart contract-based protocols, um, there is no counterparty risk because there's enough collateral, 200, 300% of collateral that will automatically get liquidated if the value of that collateral goes down. So that's the, that's the great thing about, um, about you know, algorithmic stable coins and, and uh, these smart contract protocols. So you've obviously worked with a lot of uh, different uh, protocols. In your opinion, uh, which new projects or maybe existing projects do you think have the most potential to gain critical adoption mass right now? By critical, I mean something that could potentially compete with Bitcoin in terms of trading volume down the line. Well, I believe the Terra, Terra blockchain can do that. And that's why it's gone from last year, it was ranked to, you know, probably around 100. Now it's the top five uh, blockchains. And it's actually the biggest in terms of, of DeFi um, assets um, that are held, held in the protocol. Um, and that continues to, to gain traction because of the way um, it's, it's been built, uh, very low cost, six seconds to, to settle a transaction. You know, you, you can't go, you know, to a coffee shop and pay for a coffee with your Bitcoin um, directly off, off the blockchain um, because it takes, you know, 10, 15 seconds to settle. With the Terra blockchain, it takes six seconds and costs just a few cents. So it's, it's much more um, compatible for, especially for emerging markets, um, emerging market countries and for payment solutions. Well, John, when I go to the coffee shop and I take my phone and I use my uh, Samsung Pay app and I scan the uh, uh, NFC uh, device, it doesn't cost me anything to transfer fiat dollars to the coffee shop. It still costs me a few cents is low, but it, that's still a cost. When are we going to see a total elimination of transfer costs when it comes to payments? Well, yeah, from, from, from the user perspective, it doesn't seem like there's costs associated with, with a, a payment at a coffee shop. Um, but there are infrastructure costs that are built. You know, you're paying through through other, uh, you know, other other uh, business models. Um, so with with, um, with with you know with stable coins and these protocols, you know, you're able to help hold your money into a high yield interest account, 10, 15, 20 percent earn yield on that. 
when you're not spending for your coffee, you're not paying for, 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 for items. So that's the, the, I think the real benefit of, of being able to use um, these, uh, these high yield protocols. Well, just going back to the cost question, what developments are being made right now uh, to reduce costs overall, not just in your platform, but overall in the DeFi space? When it comes to using cryptos as a form of payment, what developments are being made right now to reduce the cost of transactions? Well, you know, that was, you know, with, with if you look at the evolution history of, of the space, um, you just have new blockchains that looked at um, the previous blockchain said, okay, how do we improve? How do we improve costs and so on? So on the Ethereum blockchain, you know, they realized cost was, was a problem with all the NFT transactions, gas yeah. prices went up, transaction fees went up. Um, so they built layer twos. So layer one is the actual blockchain. Layer two is like a, another settlement layer that is sort of like a side chain that makes things go faster and then reduces costs. Um, so there are different, different, you know, either you build a new blockchain um, or you build a layer two. To, well, that's, to that was my question. So what, what, in your opinion, what is the more optimal solution here? Building a layer one that has uh, optimized, well, that is optimized for transactions, uh, basically, uh, basically a coin that is pur purposely built for payments, or we build a layer two on top of existing blockchains like Lightning Network, for example. Yeah, so I think you're going to see you're going to see multiple blockchains. You're going to see a lot of hybrid models. Um, there's, you know, there's. I think it's going to take, uh, you know, over the course of the next five, ten years, you're you're going to see new blockchains coming to market. So it's still very much an evolving space, and um, and and there's, you know, it's it's new new blockchains and new layer twos that will. Will be improving the um, the transaction costs and, and, and new protocols that will be providing better services uh, for customers. I'm just curious to see um, or understand your professional background. You previously worked at the U.S. State Department, and now you're in the blockchain space. How did that career transition take place? Yeah, so yeah, I was working at the U.S. State Department, um, and I was recruited by um, BNP Paribas Emerging Markets Trading Desk to trade fixed income bonds for emerging market countries, Latin America. Um, Eastern Europe and so on. Um, and it was actually in, in the dot-com days, uh, we, um, a friend of mine and I, we decided to, we were looking at Wall Street analyst recommendations and saw that no one was actually tracking the performance of, of Wall Street research. We built a platform to, to do that, to provide it to um, you know, firms like JP Morgan, sell side firms, uh, retail investors, and so on. In 2016, um, we were building a P2P uh, lending platform and looking at how we could optimize payments, how could we reduce transaction costs. And that's when we, I actually read Don Tapscott's book of Blockchain Revolution and realized the power that, that blockchain had to transform um, you know, financial markets and so on. Um, so sort of um, evolved from there to, to where we are today. Um, you've worked for both, I guess, the public sector and the private sector. Are you surprised that uh, the latest developments in DeFi came from the private sector first? You would think that governments would take the initiative to, I, I guess, um, provide better forms of transactions for fiat currencies. Aren't they incentivized to keep the dollar competitive when it comes to international trade or domestic trade? Yeah, well, the private sector is very innovative. Um, they move very <laughs> fast. Um, come up, come up with a lot of um, new solutions. I mean, you just look at stable coins, you know, centralized stable coins, algorithmic stable coins, hybrid stable coins. Um, even the regulators are are, are challenged in, in keeping up with the the, the fast moving space. Um, you know, governments obviously see the benefits of, of blockchain. You know, a lot of governments are looking at CBDCs, those are central bank digital currencies, um, to optimize you know 
antiquated payment rails that you know built in the 1970s. So, so yeah, I think you know a lot of this technology innovation um, you know has to come from the private sector. Sorry, CBDCs you think are meant to improve on existing payment rails or completely replace them? Um, well, they, they essentially they'll uh, you know you, you're I think you know you're it's going to improve you know the replacing, but at the same time you know I think the two will be. Um, you know, the, the, the CFI and the DeFi will, will, will need to work um, in, a, in sort of a hybrid model for the next five, 10 years, yeah. um, simply because, you know, everyone works on, on traditional payment rails. How much of a threat is CBDCs to the DeFi ecosystem right now? In the sense that if, let's say, there's a government mandate to convert X amount of your fiat dollars to CBDCs, or maybe my, my, my salary will down the line be paid with CBDCs. Is there a need for Ethereum or Solana or Terra? Yeah, so CBDCs is just basically um, digitizing the, the dollar or the euro, whatever currency it is. Uh, the government's not building you know, money market protocols where people can earn interest. Um, they're not you know, coming up with you know, remittance solutions or, or payment solutions. So I think you know I think these the CBDCs and the you know stable coins and other cryptocurrencies will be working uh, you know work, working together from from a user perspective. So people will have CBDCs and and stable coins in their in their wallets. Okay, so in theory, then if I had CBDCs in my wallet, could I come to you and, and Telebridge and you know your cash DeFi system and say, hey, look, I want to put my stable coins. I'm sorry, my CBC. I want to put my CBDCs into your system. And earn a twenty percent APY. Is that possible? You would. Um, we would provide the mechanism for you to exchange your CBDC into um, the stable coin that's uh, compatible with that protocol. So if okay. it's an Ethereum protocol, you would have to convert it to an Ethereum stable coin like USDC or Tether uh, to put into the protocol. If it's Terra, you, you know, you can exchange to to a Tether stable. But coin. There's, there's probably an exchange fee involved in that. I want to just directly earn a yield on my CBDCs. Is that is that a protocol that you could possibly work on in the future? Um, our, yeah, we, 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 we could, um, our, our, um, our strategy is actually, uh, to build, um, on top of existing infrastructure. So we're focused on the consumer facing application and if, if other companies or teams build that infrastructure, we can integrate it. Okay. Um, finally, let's talk about security and then, uh, we'll wrap it up there. So people might be concerned about, uh, um, hacking and, um, and stolen or lost. Uh, we, we've talked about counterparty risk. Let's talk about the cybersecurity aspect of stable coins. Is that something that uh, is probably concerning for some of your clients? Yeah, I think that's concerning for 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 a lot of people. You know, they they read about what happens in the market with hacks and so on. Um, what we we we've actually really put a lot of effort and focus onto the security aspect. Um, we work with Taurus Labs, which has built a very elegant and secure solution for for customers. Um, not to have to manage private keys. So in the DeFi space, as I said earlier, um, if, if you want to go into the DeFi space, it's, it's actually very complicated. If you lose your private keys, you lose your money. Um, so we've solved that with, uh, with Taurus Labs from, from a private key sort of security perspective. Um, there are other layers of security that we've built into our product and continue to build um, into our product with hardware security as well as software security. Okay. And uh, you have employees in Ukraine. This is a situation that affects everybody. So for a tech company like yourself, um, how does that affect your operations, the war in Ukraine and your employees who are based there? Yeah, so um, I'm actually based in Europe right 
now. Um, I'm actually a Ukrainian resident myself, even, even though I'm a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been going in and out of Ukraine since 2016. Um, we, we have about 40 people in the company right now, and about 15 of them are, are Ukrainian. Some of them did get out uh, prior to, to the events, um, you know, and we're doing our best to, uh, to help those uh, you know, who need assistance, uh, providing them um, with, uh, with relocation solutions and so on. Um, and in fact, there is a big problem right now with, um, with Ukrainian refugees because uh, they don't have access to the banking system in Europe. Um, there are concerns about the banking system um, in, in Ukraine, getting access to funds, there's limits and so on. So we're actually bringing to market a solution uh, for, uh, for the Ukrainian refugees. Well, that's an excellent point and a great initiative. So what is that solution? So let's say I'm a refugee from, it doesn't matter. I mean, Ukraine is one example that's currently happening, but the same could be applied to presumably any refugee from any corner of the world. If you're traveling from one place to another, you don't have access to a traditional bank account. What, what can you do? How can you access capital? What's the next step in this evolution that can provide refugees with access to finance? Yeah, so the DeFi does solve a lot of those problems. You know, there's there's you know 1.7 billion people globally that are underbanked or unbanked, don't have access to traditional financial services. Um, you know, blockchain and DeFi solves that. In the case of Ukrainian refugees specifically, um, the the problem is you know not being able to have just traditional bank accounts. And because we built a hybrid model combining both DeFi banking and traditional banking, we're able to offer those refugees that solution. Uh, we're working very closely with um, with our banking partners in the United States um, to 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 basically allow them to open bank accounts um, and fund those accounts and 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 you know be able to operate um, wherever they're wherever they're living um, as refugees. Okay, but those those uh, you offer the solution to convert uh, whatever's in those accounts or wallets into fiat local fiat currencies, whether it be euros or. Any other um, locally denominated fiat currencies? Is that, is that a solution that you can offer? Yeah, exactly. So um, the ability to hold fiat currencies, dollars, euros, sterling um, in an account, uh, to be able to spend that with a, a MasterCard, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if they want, you know, they have the option of moving their funds into a savings account and earning high yield. Obviously, that's not really the priority. The priority is just basic banking services. So okay. that's something we're, we're focused on. All right. Well, Uh, Good luck with that initiative, and uh, I hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you for your insights in the DeFi markets. Thank you. And thank you for watching Kitco News. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm David Lin.